Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, 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 and welcome to Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V in Lions right here on the Believe Network. As always, I'm your host at Javanaugh87, Jack Kavanaugh, and I am joined, as always, by the all-pro safety for the Detroit Lions. Not just an all-pro, mind you. He is the top-graded Detroit Lions (laughs) defender since 2007, Glover Quinn Jr., what is up, man? What is up? That was actually awesome, too, man. I, I did not know that. But when uh, I think they tagged me in and I saw it on Instagram, I was like, oh, wow, this is, you know, it's kind of cool. It was pretty cool to me, <laughs> too, just being like, hey, I know that guy. I work <laughs> with that guy. Look at him getting the credit he deserves. Yeah, man, that was uh, that was pretty cool. I, I Like I said, I didn't I didn't know that, you know what I'm saying? And so. I mean, it's uh, I, I mean, I think it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge, um, it's a huge honor, and it kind of happened because I think the anniversary of like when I retired was like July the ninth or something like that, and somebody else had sent me like something that somebody had posted, I guess, and they were like when I retired, and it was just saying like you know my numbers and things and like lines history as a safety and like. I was like, wow, in the history, like the, the the Lions, I got as a safety, I'm the I'm the team leader in interceptions in the history. I'm second in tackles for a defensive back. Whew. Not too shabby. You know what I'm saying? So and then like a couple of days later, the the other one came out about the top grade defense. I'm like, wow, like, okay, I guess I look back on some of my time in Detroit and um, it wasn't too shabby. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports contests and events with first to market odds and lines find reviews and news for every league, including major league baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50 to receive 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That's B L E A V five zero. Bet online where the game starts. It definitely wasn't <laughs> too shabby. And so, for those of you who are not caught up, 
PFF Pro Football Focus, they released their top graded players on offense and defense for every team since 2007, I believe is the first year. 2006. 2006, thank Mm -hmm. you. And for the Lions, of course, we know it was Calvin Johnson on offense with a 93.0. And on defense, it was our man, the myth, the legend, Glover with a 91.0. Yeah, man, that was I don't know, man. Like I still I still don't know. I I, I don't know. I don't know. But it was it was great cuz I think about I mean, there's been some great players that play defense and, you know, some of the seasons that some of the guys had. I mean, DeAndre Levy had a phenomenal year and you know, that's just a guy that I played with. Thinking about what Ziggy did one of those years and think about, you know, how how great you know, Tully played and, you know, just some of the things like that. And you're just like, wow. Like, and those are the years that I remember. I'm sure there were great. I mean, Sue was there, you know what I'm saying? So I know he had some great performances on defense at some point. You know what I'm saying? Dre Bly was there. I know he had some great performances on defense. And, like, a lot of those guys and to see, like, oh, wow, out of all those guys, I was the one that graded the highest? E. You know? <laughs> so it's actually, it actually pretty cool, man. I had to smile. I can't lie. I had to smile, you know, because sometimes when you're in the middle of the when you're in the middle of you don't think about those things. You're not really looking at that stuff. And, you know, when things like that come out years later, because you still not like I'm not going back looking at the numbers and the stats like that. I don't I don't really do that. But when it comes up and you see it, it's like, oh. Mm. And you have a better understanding for it. like and, and that's how I feel about like Jordan and 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 lebron right and i know this is totally off topic but when jordan was doing this thing i was a kid right in 97 98 i was 12 years old 98 i was born in 86 right so i was a kid when jordan was doing this thing so i remember jordan playing i remember being a huge fan i remember watching him win championships i remember you know, the shrug game against the Portland Trailblazers. I remember the shot against the Utah Jazz. I remember against the Phoenix Suns. I remember the pass to Steve Kerr. Like, I remember all those things. But I was young, so I didn't really have an understanding of some of the numbers and the stats and the things that he was doing, right? I was just a fan because he was such a great player. As I get older and now – you see different stats come out. Jordan was this and he did that. And you're like, wow, because I have a better understanding of the game and of stats. So when you hear and see certain things, you're like, dang, I remember Jordan being good. But as I get older, I can appreciate it more because I understand the stats. But the fact that I'm older now and I understand it and I get to watch LeBron in real time do some of the things that he's doing it's like wow because i understand it but it's the same for my kids like my kids are young and jordan i mean and steph curry lebron those guys are doing their things right they just know those guys are great players right now they don't even understand probably what a triple double is mm-hmm. right but then when they get older and they start seeing back looking back they're like oh wow lebron did all this or steph did all that Ooh, I mean, I knew they were good, but you know what I'm saying? And so for me, when you're playing, you're just kind of playing. You're not, you're not really, I'm not really, you know, worried about all those things. And so 
then when you look back and you get these stats and things come out, it's like, oh, wow, I did that? I did that too? Hmm. Okay. Not too bad. <laughs> when you're living in the moment, things with emotions and everything going on, sometimes you narrow in and don't realize the greatness that is happening clearly it can be that way with a career and for me growing up it was the patriots dynasty it was oh the patriots they're, they're so annoying they're, they always win they all they're always in it oh my goodness and now you look back and think that was a generation of football that's going to be tough to ever repeat right it's very tough. very tough yeah very tough and like i said so many people don't like seeing greatness right they like so many people root for underdogs right because there's a lot more underdogs in this world than like big dogs right so a lot of people root for the underdogs because they hate to see people continually win right they hate to see that um and that's just a part of it we understand all those things right like people they rooted against Floyd Mayweather because they wanted to see him lose, right? They rooted against Tom Brady because they wanted to see him lose. Like, they root against LeBron, not because they don't like these guys, but they just want to see somebody else win because they get tired of seeing the Patriots win it every year, every year, every year, right? Um, as opposed to just sitting back and just appreciating what we're watching, what we're getting to witness, what you're getting to witness. Like, what the Patriots did throughout that time is like, like you say, like, that takes – incredible amount of hard work and effort and discipline and so many different things that goes into that that instead of us appreciating it we kind of try to look to downplay it or to like root for somebody else i won't you know what i'm saying as opposed to like man i'm getting a chance to witness something that is phenomenal you know what i'm saying it's just one of those things that like i'm just so happy i get to to be a part of this um you know and it's just it's just one of those things that like as a people and i can say and i keep bringing up i keep bringing up the (laughs) the lebron and jordan thing not because i want to debate about that but it's just so many things that i think about right when jordan was playing lebron was considered the next one right and now it's a debate if he passed him right whether he passed him or not it's a debate it's debatable but now that we're older and we understand what LeBron has done, think about the pressure on that kid that they consider the next LeBron. Think yep. about what he has to do to live up to where it's debatable. You see what I'm saying? Like Jordan was here and it was LeBron's the next one, right? And it's debatable now. So whether he passed him or not, he's done enough to make it debatable think about that kid i mean andrew wiggins came out a few years ago right and they were saying he was going to be the next lebron and andrew wiggins has had a probably a solid career but the fact that they said he's the next lebron expectations were too high you know what i'm saying so it's one of those things man where it's just it's just i don't know man it's just it's just crazy it it really is and with that, the next LeBron, you're going to be compared not only to LeBron, but also to Jordan and then to all of these other guys where it's, well, he's not the next LeBron. He's not even the next this guy. And it just right. adds 
so many unnecessary comparisons. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, you know, and that's why I try to tell people when it comes to the debates, I just like to enjoy people for who they are and their greatness. I don't want to debate who's the best quarterback. I just want to enjoy Tom Brady while I get to watch Tom Brady. I want to enjoy Aaron Rodgers while I get to watch Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, everybody's fans of different people, right? But you got to respect the game. You know what I'm saying? You might not like Aaron Rodgers personally, but you can't say that he's not a good football player. You know what I'm saying? You, you may not like Tom Brady personally, but you can't say that he isn't a good football player. That's where, to me, fans kind of cross the line. It's like, how are you going to say Aaron Rodgers is not a good football player? Because you don't like him. <laughs> you don't know him for one to like him or not. You may not like the way he acts, and that's fine, right? But you can't say he's not a good football player. Jeez. You know. I completely understand where you're coming from here. People just get caught up in the emotion of it, the fandom. And one of the things that has triggered that lately is the Madden rankings that come out every year. We won't dive deep into the rankings. We're not going to debate who should be higher, who should be lower. But fans freak out when they're released and they see that their favorite players too high, too low. And then you see the players get interviewed about it and everything is kind of tongue in cheek and they just kind of funny for the most part. Am I accurate in that assessment? Yeah. I mean, everybody wants to see their, their overall rating. I mean, you want to see what they rate you as. Um, and then you want to see the things that you specialize in. So, I'm sure Tyreek Hill probably doesn't care if he's rated the top-rated wide receiver on the game, but I'm sure he wants to be a 99 speed on the game. I'm sure he don't feel like there's another receiver that should be rated higher than him in the speed category. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's things like that where it's like, okay, if you feel like you're a good tackler, like I want my tackle ratings to be high. I might not be – the highest rated safety. Like for me, when I play, I knew I probably wouldn't be the highest rated safety, but I felt like I wanted to be in the top rated safeties, but I wanted my awareness to be up. I wanted my catching to be up. I wanted my playmaking to be up. You know what I'm saying? My speed might've been average, my this, but I wanted my, the things that I felt like I was good at that made me a good player. I wanted that to be high. And as long as they got that right, I was cool with it because the, you know, the Raiders and stuff kind of, you know, they 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 change as the season go, right? You might have a kid, a guy that starts out as a 90, and if he's having an incredible year, he might end up a 95 by the end of the year. But if he has a down year, he might end up at 85 by the end of the year. So um, everybody looks at that stuff, man, for the most part. You hear about it. Some people care, don't care. But, you know, certain things and certain people that really get into it, they definitely – I guarantee you the first thing Cheetah goes and looks at is the speed. Guarantee. And who can blame them for that? When you kind of know you're the fastest player in the NFL, I'm sure it does matter a little bit more to you. And speaking of speed, Jamison Williams ended up getting a 98 in his speed category. And even better news is that Calvin Johnson has now come out and said that he's willing to mentor the young Jamison and helping him along with the expectations that come with being such a high drafted wide receiver. 
So that's pretty cool that not only is Jameson going to get the help, but also that Calvin is taking one more step back into the Lions fold. Right. And and, and that's huge. Definitely for Lions fans that, that want to see Calvin back in the fold. And, you know, I, I think, you know, looking at, looking at the statement, right. When, when you say I'm willing or I don't mind, that means you're opening yourself up. So Jameson has to open himself up to reach out or to allow Calvin to help him. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a two way street. You know what I'm saying? People have to be willing to give help and people have to be willing to accept the help. And so hopefully Jameson is open to it and him and Calvin can, you know, link and, and, you know, Calvin can be a part of helping him, like you said, deal with the expectations because there's a lot. And, his learning curve is going to be different because he's injured right now. So he didn't get to go through OTAs. He didn't go through mini camp and start getting that learning curve, start learning things. He's not going through uh, the training camp practices right now. I don't know exactly when he's going to be, you know, released to start practicing and playing, but he's probably going to miss some preseason games. They're probably going to take a slower time with him to bring him along slowly to try to keep him healthy and make sure he's completely ready to go. And so in doing that, his learning curve is going to be a little slower because, yeah, we can all sit in the classroom and and understand a lot of these things, but it's a lot different when you get on the field and you got to remember, you got to put it all together. You got to, for one, remember all your plays. You got to remember your checks. You got to remember your motion, but you got to be paying attention to the defense. You got to try to recognize what they in. Then on top of that, you got to beat this defender. That's a great defender, right? And so it's, it's tough. It, it, it could be, it could be tough. And, like I said, when you're a high draft pick, the expectations are high. You know what I'm saying? When you come in as a first rounder, a high first rounder, the expectations are higher than a fourth rounder or a sixth rounder. You know what I'm saying? And so hopefully Calvin can help him and help him deal with those things and not put too much pressure on himself to try to come back quicker than he's ready because hopefully he can have a long career. Everybody wants him to come back and, and be ready to go right now. But the key is to have a long, prosperous career. So even if he has to miss half this year, you know, we have to be willing to be patient so he can get healthy. So then he can reach the potential that he truly can that he can have. And that's something that we should stress to all the anxious Detroit Lions fans out there is despite all the advancements in medical sciences, the human body is still the human body. No matter how fast you hear Chris Godwin, he's only going to be about nine months removed from the ACL tear and he's off the PUP. That is rare that a guy can recover that fast. So we don't want to just expect that everyone's going to be the next Adrian Peterson who tears his ACL and then runs for 2000 yards. Right. Right. That's tough. That's tough. Those injuries. (laughs) Especially for skilled guys, man, those injuries are tough. Anytime you get ACLs, you get, you know, Achilles injuries, those injuries are tough. And so for a young guy, you know, taking more time on the front end could definitely, you know, benefit you more on the back end because, you know, you don't want to come back too early. You don't want to feel the pressure of having to try to be out there, wanting to be out there, feeling like the team needs you out there, feeling like the team expects you out there and you rush yourself back. And then, you know, four or five weeks in, you you re-injure yourself. And and now, you know, we're, we're behind the eight ball again. So um, be patient. Continue to put the work in. Continue to learn, develop mentally. You know, when you get a chance to get out there, work yourself back. And then, uh, 
you know, like I said, the goal is to have a, a prosperous career, you know what I'm saying? Not a great start to this season. You know what I'm saying? We want to have a great career. So if you got to be a little, little slower in, in, in the return, then take the time. I'm glad you agree because a lot of Lions fans are super anxious just to get everyone healthy. That's just not reality sometimes. And we've got a couple injury updates with camp kicking off. Jeff Akuda is full go coming off the Achilles, whereas Romeo Aquara, the pass rusher who tore it a couple weeks later, he's going to be brought along a little bit slower and given more time to heal up. Defensive lineman Josh Pascal, he's coming off sports hernia surgery, so he's going to be ready when he's going to be ready. And then we've got fullback Jason Cabinda on the PUP, safety CJ Moore on the non-football injury list, and offensive tackle Dan Skipper to the non-football illness list. And that's it. Those are all the injuries, so the Lions are doing pretty good when it comes to health right now. Well, I mean, we could say that. But they haven't started yet. <laughs> so this is true. You know, this is what we have going in, and we haven't even started yet. I'm sure after today, they probably I think they had their first practice today. I saw a couple of highlights or whatever. There's more people on the injury report already. Guaranteed. Somebody hurt an ankle today. Somebody, you know, tweaked a hammy or something already. Um, that's a part of training camp. Those are not necessarily full-time major injuries. But after the first day, your body never feels 100% again after the first day. And you're not even in pads yet. Um, but it's great to see that Jeff is back with no, um, you know, that's good to go. Um, you know, turning Achilles, like I said, it's tough um, for a skilled guy. But he did it, I guess, early enough in the season. I don't remember exactly what week he did it in, but I guess he done it early enough in the season um, to where he could get get the surgery, get the rehab, and and go through the offseason. And and now he's he's ready to go. Um, and, you know, we saw with the running back from from uh, the Rams last year, Cam Akers, I think, you know, tore an Achilles and was back in a few months. Um, so I don't know if there's some different technology or something going on with the with the repairing of these Achilles. Um, but hopefully, yeah, hopefully Jeff can come back, man. And this is what year three or four for Jeff? Year three. Yeah, this is year three for Jeff. So year three is a big year. You know what I'm saying? Year three is a big year, especially for Jeff. He's a first rounder, right? So this right here is this is option year, right? We might this is option year. This is year three, Jeff. So they got to decide after I think this year if they're going to pick up his fifth year, right? Going into year four, they got to decide after year three, are we going to pick up Jeff's fifth year or not? They can't wait to after year four, right? So this is option year. You got to show this year whether you can play or not play. And they drafted him high. So obviously there's some ability there that he can that he can play. Um, but the name of the game is you got to prove it. You got to go out and show it. You got to show that you can be – a number three overall pick and you can be that corner. You can be that pillar to the defense. Um, and so this is a big year for Jeff. So I'm, I'm excited to see um, how he comes back, how he, how he, you know, handles things. Um, he's had two years to get used to the game and, and, and understand that the game is tough. Um, he's, he's had some, he's had some tough, some tough moments. And so I'd be interested to, to talk with him and, and see, you know, how he's doing, how he's feeling mentally and physically, and, and hopefully he can go out there and show, 
this year that he was um, definitely worthy of that, that high of a pick, and he's definitely that caliber of a football player. And talking about players meeting expectations, another one of those is former safety Will Harris, who has converted to outside cornerback. And it's been Will Harris and Jeff Akuda getting those first team reps opposite Amani Oruwarie. And so what should fans be looking for, not only with those two, but just in training camp? Because you've mentioned in the past how making a bunch of plays in practice isn't always a good thing. It can be, but sometimes players are making these plays because they're in the wrong position. So what can we look for other than Jeff Okuda is getting first team reps, X players getting second team reps? What should we be looking for as training camp progresses? Well, you just want to see consistency. That's really what you want to see. You want to see the injury report. Okay, are these guys staying healthy, right? You want to see uh, what 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 is the talk about? What what are, what are they saying? What are they what are they not saying? Right? Are, are, is Jeff taking all of the first team reps? Is he rotating? Right. So if they're rotating now, that means Jeff is taking. If say the first team has ten plays in a period, right? Jeff may take the first four. The next guy may take the next four, and then Jeff may take the last two. And then in the next period, it might be switched. The first guy, the second guy might take the first four and they're just kind of rotating. So they're just trying to, they're basically letting these guys compete and battle it out and see who wins. And a lot of time who wins isn't about who starts out having the greatest training camp. You know, the, the book that I read so, so young in my life, the tortoise and the hare, you know, a lot of those things kind of, play out that same way right you know it's not about who starts out the fastest it's about who can be the most consistent who can stay there who can play at a high level who can be trusted over and over and over and over and over and over and over again everybody's going to come into training camp feeling great you've been working out this offseason your body's feeling great you're in great shape your your footwork feels impeccable all those different things can you translate that to the field can you find a routine where you can stay healthy, where you can continue to work on your footwork, where you can continue to get better, where you can be consistent and get better each and every day because that's going to be the guy that's going to win the job. Somebody can come out these first three days and have a, a blazing start to training camp, and then all of a sudden they start seeing the performance go down. They get injured. They get hurt. They miss a couple weeks. They did. They get in the preseason game. They don't perform as well in the preseason game. This guy performs in practice, but he don't perform in the game. This guy don't really perform in the game. I mean, practice as much, but we get in the game and he plays like out of his mind. So you just got to just watch it and see, okay, well, now they're not rotating anymore. Jeff is taking all of the first team reps or Will is taking on the first team reps. Okay. You just kind of see how it goes, man. And don't, like I said, don't, don't make um, decisions based off what you see all the time at practice, unless a kid, you know, yeah, you can see, oh man, he can make plays, you know, but a lot of times, like I say, coaches look at more than just are you making the play? That's that's a great thing because there's people that can be in the right spot but can't make the play. And there's people that are in the wrong spot and still make the play, right? So coaches, they want to see everything. They want to see the consistent footwork. They want to see the consistent technique. They want to see the consistent mental communication and the verbal and nonverbal communication. They want to see all those little things 
knowing that you can make a play is like the icing on the cake because they know as we go through the season, you're going to have to do all those little things, play in, play out, game in, game out to survive. And if you can do those things and you can make plays at the end of that, then that's going to be the guy who wins the job. And making plays, sometimes they just come to you. Sometimes the ball just ends up where in your hands because you did all of those little things ahead of time. Like you talked about picking off Drew Brees. You were in the right place. You played with his mind and you were in position to make a play because of everything else you had done beforehand. Yeah, I mean, that's really what it is. You know, you worry about the small things and let the big things take care of itself, right? So making sure you got in the right position, make sure your technique is right, making sure your footwork is right, making sure your eyes are right, making sure your hands are right, make sure you're taking care of all the little details, make sure you communicate, you recognize the formation, you do all those little things. And if you do that consistently, you're going to put yourself in position. And when the ball comes your way, you have an opportunity to make a play. It's not about guessing what's going on. It's not about doing all those things. It's not about playing consistent one play, inconsistent the next play. It's about doing it right every single time. And that's what's so hard about it because you may do that for 55 plays in a row and nothing ever comes your way. And the moment you relax on play 56, bums over Baghdad. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to stay locked in each and every play. And when your moment comes, you got to be ready to capitalize on it. So that was my big thing when I played and my message to all my DBs and my groups and, and the guys was there's enough plays to go around for everybody. There's There are enough plays to go around for everybody. So you don't have to come and try to make my play. Every play is not your play to make. There are plays that are other people's plays to make. So make the plays that you're supposed to make. And if you do that, there's enough plays to go around for everybody. They're going to throw it enough times. They're, they're going to run it enough times. There are going to be enough plays that you can make. The problem happens when you get bored and now you try to come and make my play and then they attack your area and you're not there because you want to come make my play. So just be patient, work on your technique, make sure you're doing the right things, pre-snap, post-snap, during the snap. Um, and when the ball comes your way, you find a way to make a play and just continue to stack those days of being in the right place and knowing that the plays will come to you eventually. And one of the positions that it's very important not to make a mistake at is the slot corner, the nickel corner. And last year, the lions had AJ Parker, the undrafted rookie out of Kansas state. He's a little on the smaller side, a traditional build for what I've read and what other teams are doing, not just the lions is sometimes they're rolling into what Washington calls the Buffalo nickel, where they put a bigger slot corner, maybe a safety, like for the lions, Fetu Melifonwu. he's been repping there a little bit. What all things together though, make the, a slot corner, so valuable and what separates it from a safety and an outside corner to be successful, both as a smaller guy, as a bigger guy, just 
in general? Well, the, the slot corner, is it, there's a lot that go into playing slot corner. And the thing about it, you have to be able to be very versatile or they're going to have multiple guys that, that do it, right? So what I mean is a, a team offensively can come out in a formation on first down and force you to go with your slot corner, right? But you look at when he was playing, you look at Larry Fitzgerald, right? They move him to the slot. He's 6'4", 240. Two th- you know what I'm saying? So he's kind of like another tight end, right? But he can also play wide receiver. So when they do it on first down, who do you put in? Do I put in my bigger guy that can play the run better? Because the slot corner is like another linebacker, basically. Yeah. Because you bring in the slot, you take out a linebacker for the most part, right? So now you only got two linebackers on the field, and then you got a slot corner, so you can still have two safeties. Or you have teams that put together packages where they know what the offense is trying to do, right? So instead of taking a linebacker off the field to bring in another slot corner, they leave the linebacker on the field, take a safety off, and put a cover safety on. Somebody that's big enough that can hold up in the run but can also defend against the pass if they decide to throw the ball. But that's what you run into, right? These offenses can put you in a situation where, okay, they got the big nickel in, so he's better in run support, but he doesn't cover as well. But now he's covering Larry Fitzgerald, so we're going to throw the ball. You know, he's covering, you know, this tight end. That's a, He's covering Travis Kelsey in the slot because we got Travis Kelsey in the slot, right? And we got another tight end. So now they bring this little guy in to cover Travis Kelsey. Well, we're going to run that way because we know Travis can block this little guy, right? So it's the, it's the game within the game. So as a slot defender, you got to be tough enough to be able to play in the run game. You got to be quick enough and fast enough to be able to cover in the slot. And you got to be able to understand all those different things. You got to be able to understand man-to-man, understand your leverage, because you're playing kind of in, in, in the middle, right? When you're an outside corner, you know you got the sidelines right to your outside, and it's undefeated, right? So the closer they line up to the sideline, you already know there's no room for him to go out that way. So he has to come back inside, right? The farther he lined up away from the sideline, it's like, okay, well, why would he line up way in here? He's giving himself room to go to the outside. So you know those things as an outside corner. When you're in the slot, he got room on the outside. He got room on the inside. He got room over the top of you. So you got to understand your leverage and understand where your linebackers are playing at, or your safeties are playing at, where your other corners are playing at, what coverage are we in? Are we blitzing? Are we not blitzing? Am I in the blitz? They may have a nickel blitz up for me. So it's so many things that go on as a slot corner that you got to be able to do if you want to be on the field every time. Or like you say, they'll have a guy that's a bigger safety that is okay in pass coverage, but he can hold up in the run game. He can blitz for us. He can do some of those things. But if it's an obvious passing down, then we're going to put a cover guy in there that can cover a little better because most of the time offenses, they're going to use the slot receiver and the tight end to move the chains, right? That's what they're going to use. It's third and four. They're going to the slot guy some kind of way. Are they going to the tight end to move the chain? So being able to cover in the slot is very, 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 very important, especially for, third down and 
on third down and four, you might also have to face a pulling guard or a pulling offensive tackle out in the flat too, right? So right. there's it's... a lot to think about yeah. as that and, slot corner. And I say that because the Texans drafted me as a slot corner. That's what they drafted me to play nickel. I had never played on the inside, but they drafted me because I was tough enough, right? So in that 4-3 scheme, they wanted their nickel to be kind of like an outside linebacker. So I had run gaps. I had run responsibility. And so that's what they drafted me for. So I spent my first two years of my career playing outside corner on base downs. And anytime they went to any kind of sub, anytime we went to any kind of sub package or nickel or dime, anything like that, I moved inside and played in the slot. And so um, it's tough playing in there. It's, it's tough, like, to be able to cover and to be able to play in the run and take on those big linemen and fill those gaps, taking on the big running backs as a small corner, it's tough. I was a bigger corner, and it was tough for me. So for the smaller guys, they don't necessarily want to get in that fire all the time because it's tough on your body trying to hold up for 17 games now. You know what I'm saying? So it's 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 tough. Slot corner uh, is, is a tough position. They definitely deserve a lot of respect, That the ones that are that are good at it. I'm sure your body appreciated it once you moved a little bit deeper into the backfield and started playing a little bit more safety. Yeah. I mean, you know, and what's crazy. So I played my first two years as a corner and then I moved into nickel my second two years. And I moved to safety when Wade Phillips got to Houston, I played base downs as a safety, but then in subs and dime packages, nickel and dime packages, I moved back down and played dime linebacker. Right. So I wasn't the slot corner on the wide receiver. I was the dime linebacker on the tight end. So I was still playing down in the box. I just wasn't the corner. I was kind of the safety or the linebacker. So I did that for two years. So it wasn't until I got to Detroit in 2013 to where I kind of moved out of the box and moved back to more of a free safety and, you know, had opportunities to, to make a lot of plays on the ball. But early in my career, I was outside corner inside nickel safety dime so i played all of the defensive back spots all of them so i know how every last one of those guys feel and i felt like that helped me as a safety because i knew what it felt like for corners in certain situations for nickels in certain situations for dimes i knew the job that they had to do i knew how to help those guys i knew how to talk to those guys so i definitely appreciate you know that opportunity that i that i did have to learn um in, in my early years because i feel like it definitely helped me later in my career and so just to get back to the dimebacker for a second, would you say your responsibilities were very similar to when you were a corner, both in the run game and in coverage, or was it a little bit more specialized man up on the tight end? I mean, the way we played it for me, it was, you still had your run responsibilities, but it was more man up on the tight end because of who I was. So when I played the dime, Brian Cushing was the other linebacker. Right. Mm. So I'm going to be the guy that has to cover the tight end all the time. Brian Cushing's going to be the guy that's blitzing or we'll give you the back. You know what I'm saying? Why would you blitz me at, you know, 5'11, you know, 198, 205 pounds? And then you got Brian Cushing, 6'4, 260. You know what I'm saying? So they're going to send him to go blitz the quarterback, cover the back, make the back stay in and block him. And then he's going to beat the back and go sack the quarterback. And I'm going to be the one stuck guarding these tight ends one-on-one. And the way the defense was played back then, the way it was set up, you know, 
the better I played in the one on one against the tight end, the better our defense done because we had everybody else kind of double teamed and you know covered and zoned on one side so we can you know basically trap these guys and we can double team this guy. So the only place that the quarterback has is the tight end. So if he can beat me, they're gonna win. If I beat him, we're probably gonna win. So needless to say, my first my our, our two years with Wade Phillips, I think we were number one defense. So I guess I did okay. Yeah, you did all right uh, playing that dime backer position. I'm sure the coaches were pretty thrilled with you. And with this Lions coaching staff, the energy's high as always. You see Dan Campbell in warmups hitting up downs. Is that something that resonates with players, or is that more just for the clip that the social media team's going to post? Well, I mean, that's that's just his personality. You know, that's his personality, and that's what he feels gets him going. He feels that's what gets his players going. Um, he wants to be a part of that. That's the energy that he wants to to have and to bring. And so players don't – I mean, for me, I wouldn't look at that as, you know, a good or a bad thing. That's just what he likes to do. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, it's going to come down to the practices, the games. Are we winning? Are we getting – Treat it like we feel, you know what I'm saying? That's what it's going to come down to. Just because you do up-downs, what is not going to change any of those things. It's not going to, you know what I'm saying? It's not going to, you know, I don't know. Like I said, Gary Kubiak, Jim Caldwell, Jim Swartz, Matt Patricia, they never did a up-down with me or a lunge <laughs> or, you know what I'm saying? They never did any of those things. I didn't really care. Um, but that's what he liked to do. So, yeah, I mean, that's fun for him. It gets him going. He's an active guy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think the players have a problem with it. Like I say, long as they feel like, you know, he's he's coaching us the right way, we're practicing the right way, and, you know, we're getting put in positions to do things the right way, and we're winning games or we're, we're, he's making good decisions for us, that's what matters the most to players, in, in my opinion. And that kind of echoes something that Pat McAfee talks about all the time on the Pat McAfee show is players just want authenticity. You can smell when someone's faking it and everyone knows that Dan Campbell is not faking this. This is just who he is as a person. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, that's a small portion of it, right? Like you, you're around that coach a lot more just in meetings and in the building, you know, walking around, you see him or do you not see him? Is he in the weight room with you or is he not in the weight room? When is he in the weight room in the mornings or in the evenings or like, is he in the cafeteria with us or is he, do we never see him other than at practice? Because a lot of times players understand those things, right? They'll say, man, we never even see coach unless we're in a team meeting, right? He doesn't really interact with us. But then when we couldn't practice, he wanted to do up-downs and make it seem like he did so that. Players can see that, right? And then you have the coaches who don't get involved with that stuff, but they're everywhere in the building. They see you in the hallway. They're in the cafeteria sitting down talking to you. They're in the weight room with you working out. Maybe they're not bothering you, but they're in there. You just see them around all the time. But when it's time to go to practice, they're not doing anything special, but you have a relationship with them and you feel comfortable, you feel closer, you feel like, that guy's in the trenches with us because I see him around the building all the time. I talk to him all the time. So, um, like I say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look too much into it either way at this moment, but you know, everybody's excited to be back. And I, I think he was doing the same thing last year. 
you know, so that's just him. That's his personality. And like I said, as long as he he's consistent with that on the field, in the meetings, in the classrooms, all those different things, he brings that energy all the time and respects the players. The players that respect him, the players that play hard for him. And with the Lions having so many coaches, or sorry, former former players on the coaching staff, I'm sure that helps with the relationship building. One of the most recent additions is Ohio State legend JT Barrett, who was signed on as a coaching intern, continues this trend of former players after 104 touchdowns, which was a Big Ten record at the time, and over 9,000 yards from scrimmage. So JT Barrett comes to Detroit. I'm sure a lot of Michigan fans in Detroit aren't going to be thrilled about that, but I think they can overlook it. Well, I mean, I think, like you said, like I was saying earlier, I think it all depends on how we're looking at things, right? You might didn't like JT Barrett, as a Michigan fan because he was playing for Ohio State, right? And you probably didn't like him probably because he was good. Because if he wasn't very good, you probably would have liked when we played JT. <laughs> oh, I'm, I, hey, I'm glad we're playing Ohio State because they got JT Barrett and he's awful, right? So then when he shows up as your coach, you're like, why did we sign this guy? He, he was awful at Ohio State, right? But if you're a Michigan fan and you don't like JT Barrett, it's probably because he was pretty good at Ohio State. So he made it tough for Michigan to win. So now when he joins your team as a coach, you're like, oh, yeah. I mean, he I don't know how good he is as a coach, but he was a good player. I, I didn't really like him when we played because he was always tear us up, right? But now he's coaching our guys, so maybe he can help those guys be better, right? So I think that's the difference, right? You got to put that. I don't want to say hate, but you got to put that aside, right? Like, man, in college, I hated playing against you guys because you were good. Not that I don't like you as a player, but you were good and you would always beat our team. So, no, I didn't want to play against you in college. But I'm glad you're on the coaching staff to help our professional team win. College is over with. So, hopefully, um, you know, he does well there and the fans, you know, you know, give him a good reception. And, you know, he's a good sport about being an Ohio State guy, but as a professional, I'm a I'm a Detroit Lion. I'm a Michigan, I'm a Michigan guy. I, I'm a Detroit Lions guy, right? Yes, I'm an Ohio State alumni, so I wouldn't expect, you know, the Michigan fans to think that I'm gonna root for Michigan when they're playing Ohio State. Will I support Michigan sports? Of course, but I'm a Ohio State alumni. Like, what do you expect? It's just about having those <laughs> expectations in check, right? <laughs> I'm sure you had a lot of those with players you played against in college and high or in high school and the rivalries that build too. Oh yeah, I mean that stuff happens, man. And like I said, that's the good thing about sports, man. As long as people are good sports, we all understand like people get to go to certain schools because they're from certain places and they grow up in certain areas and then they get drafted to certain teams and they do this, they do that. They grew up in Dallas, so they're a huge Dallas Cowboy fan, but they get drafted to the Philadelphia Eagles. Like, <laughs> what do you say? You know what I'm saying? Like, this guy, I was, everything in his house is Dallas Cowboys, but now he's a Philadelphia Eagles. That's who's paying you, boss. You're an Eagles fan now. Um, and, you know, and I have family that was like that. You know, I have family that was, you know, 49er fans or Saints fans or whatever those things. But when I was in Houston, they were Houston fans, right? Because I played for Houston. When I was in Detroit, they were Detroit fans. 
And then when I retired, like, all right, now I can go back to being a solid 49er fan again. You know what I'm saying? I, <laughs> I still was a 49er fan, but I was a, I was rooting for the Lions too. And, you know, when you guys played against the 49ers or the Redskins or whatever it was, you know what I'm saying? I would hope that you would do well um, and maybe get the win. But, you know, if the other team won and you played well, I still was – you know what I'm saying? It's just part of sports. You can't look too much into it. It's just different people. It's fun. Um, so, yeah, I hope I hope it's a great time for JT and – Hope he's a good addition to the style. Did you ever have friends or family trying to push you to sign with their favorite team? Were were those 49ers fans trying, hey, hey, hey Glover, uh, look, I know you're a free agent and the Lions contract's better, but come to San Fran, please. Come to the back. Nah. Nah, I mean, you get the <laughs> jokes. You get the jokes, like, while you're on the contract, like, hey, man, we should, you know, can they trade? We, we should trade for you or this and this and that, but you know, my circuit was pretty small. So I yeah, obviously I got drafted to Houston, so I didn't have a choice in that matter. Everybody's like, Oh man, I wish you would get drafted to my favorite team, obviously. Um, but you get drafted to whoever drafts you. And then when I became a free agent, you know, I don't recall people being like, Oh yeah, bro, like come to this team or come to that team. It's kinda like and even if they did, I'm like, Hey man, I'm just going where I got the best opportunity to play. Who wants me? That's where I'm going. Like I wanted to stay in Houston at the time. Um, they didn't want me like that, I guess. So it didn't work out. Detroit wanted me. I went to Detroit. <laughs> and when you got that contract offer, was there any weird clauses that you had to meet? Because one of the bigger stories of the week is Kyler Murray being contractually obligated to study his playbook for at least four hours a week. Now, David Carr, the former quarterback, has come out and said they probably should have put the reverse of that in Peyton Manning's contract where you have to take four hours a week where you're not looking at the playbook, Peyton. So that was surprising to me. Having read NFL contracts, is that something that's surprising to you as well? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think, especially given the caliber of player that Kyler is, right? I mean... That is, you know, and the fact that these contracts are public knowledge, like that's that's pretty tough. I mean, I think, you know, for for opposing coaches, for opposing players to know that they have contractually put this in there probably means that they know he may not study as much and. For me, being a player and understanding Kyler and his history, I can understand that as well, right? I can understand Kyler. But it's very difficult to be a successful NFL quarterback and, like, consistently play at a high level if you don't understand the playbook, understand all the nuances inside of each and every play, all the possible checks, all the possible routes that can be ran all the different things that you can do to control the game as a quarterback um but when you look at the history of Kyler a lot of times guys who are extremely athletically gifted don't have all of those hard working tools right meaning Kyler's 
very gifted football player. Can run, can throw, super quick, super fast. So given that he won 6A state titles in Texas every year, I don't think he lost a game. He was extremely gifted. So he probably didn't have to study as a quarterback in high school because I'm faster than everybody. I can run better. I can scramble around and throw the ball and make plays, right? He did the same thing yet. Oklahoma, right? Scramble around, throw the ball, make plays. I know how to throw it. I know certain plays. I know how to – you get to the NFL, it becomes a little more difficult, but he still has done it at times. Scramble around, make big plays, make big throws, but you can't run around and run away from everybody, right? And a lot of times you're running probably because you didn't put, put us in the right situation or you didn't make the right read probably because you didn't understand everything, so you have to rely on your athletic ability. Well, when I'm a team and I want to give you – $50 million a year, I need to know that you're going to be studying and knowing what you're going to do because we all know quarterbacks that have to run a lot, a lot, a lot in the NFL, eventually they're going to get hurt, right? Eventually they're going to get hurt and now we've given you $50 bucks and you're hurt. So that's why they want you to be smart to understand the pocket, understand how to throw in the pocket. Yeah, you may be a scrambling guy, but you got to understand the offense, the checks, the reads, so that you can protect yourself. So now we feel comfortable making this long, long, long-term investment. So for the team to put that in your contract, that is, that's alarming to, to me as a, as a fan that they feel like we got to obligate you or mandate you to look at it for four hours. I mean, that's, an hour is less like you can't go home and say, all right, I'm going to give myself an hour in the playbook. Like that's tough to me. Especially when you hear about players like Phil rivers, who paid for a limo to practice every day, just so he, and it wasn't about the limo. It was about not driving himself and being able to study the playbook for the entire commute. So, right. It's just different than what we've heard from some of the top quarterbacks of the past. And and that's what you would see, right? So Phillip, I think this is when he was that he was still in living Diego, in San Diego, yeah. but the team had moved to LA. Yeah. I think, right? So now yeah. you know you got an hour and a half, hours, whatever how long it is, of a drive every single day. Right? So I got a lot of kids at my house too. I got a family. I got a wife. I got kids. So if I know I got an hour and a half drive home in a car in traffic, why won't I utilize that time to study, to get things done? Let somebody drive me home. I can take that hour and a half so that then when I get home and I get around my family, I don't have to think about, oh, I need to study for another hour and a half or whatever because you've been gone all day. Your kids still want you. They want to see you. They want to play with dad, right? So dad can use those those times, those hours to to get that done. And so that was actually a smart move by Phillip Rivers. And, you know, when you're a starting quarterback of that caliber, you make that much money, you can, you can afford to pay somebody to drive you to practice or you can utilize that time to uh, to get work done. And it sure worked for Phillip Rivers as well, allowed him to know the offense better and play within structure. 
And one of the questions that have come up today is Matt Patricia seems like he's going to be the offensive play caller for the New England Patriots, even if he doesn't get the title of OC. And what some people are theorizing is if Matt Patricia were given the title of OC, then whatever the Patriots pay him in salary is subtracted from what the Lions owe him still on that final year of his deal. So that's just conspiracy theory. Had to give a nod to that. But as for Matt Patricia running an offense, what would you expect his O to look like? Is it going to be super run heavy or I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't need I mean, <laughs> but that's, that's a super, super Patriot move. And that's mm-hmm. just a, that's just a, it's uh I don't even know what you call it, but it's just one of those things where they're like, okay, the Detroit Lions have to pay you this much. Okay. Hey, this is what we're going to do, Matt. We're going to let the Lions pay you. You can still call the plays for us. We just won't give you the title of offensive coordinator. It'll save us some money. We can give that money to somebody else, and we keep it moving. The Lions will pay you, and then you'll still make your money, and then next year we'll give you a contract, and you can be the offensive coordinator. But you're in the Patriots the organization. We all know you're the offensive coordinator. We're just not going to give you that title because then that puts us on the hook, and we're going to let the Lions pay you, right? So cool. Um, you probably make more in your last year from a head coaching salary that the Lions will pay you then you probably would make from an offensive coordinator coordinator salary. So we're going to do it that way. And I don't know how the numbers break down, but given Matt Patricia's personality, I mean, he's probably going to try to be a hard nose. Right? He's probably going to try to establish the run game. He's probably going to try to ha- get the tight ends involved. That's that's kind of a staple. Um, I don't know if he would be, uh, you know, spread offense over the top, like, you know what I'm saying? And he's a smart guy. He understands Matt Jones. He understands the personnel that they have and and what they have done in the past and what's worked for them. So I don't think Bill Belichick will let him get, you know, too far away from, you know, what they've done to be successful. Because if you look at the Patriots over all these last few years, regardless of who they've had at offensive coordinator, the offense has kind of always looked the same, right? They're going to – I mean, t- obviously Tom Brady was the, probably the coordinator, but, you know, they got Matt Jones to kind of be that Tom Brady-ish, even though he's younger. So the offense is going to be kind of the same. You know, it's going to be 12 personnel. It's going to be tight ends. It's going to be runs. It's going to be play action. It's going to be some shotguns. It's going to be slot guys. It's going to be – you know, it's going to be exactly what it's always been it's just going to be okay. Well, this is Matt Patricia's favorite type of plays on third down. So, you know, he's going to run those plays. He's going to call those plays during that time. Is he going to do it? What formation is he going to like? The plays are going to end up being the same, but the formations are going to be different. Is he going to be multiple formations? Or is he going to be simple formations? Those are going to be the things that you have to look at because, I mean, Belichick is, is the constant over there. So, you know, He's still going to have his hands in there and and the things that he want to do. So I wouldn't expect anything different really from what the Patriots always do. And that makes a lot of sense because even going from Tom Brady to Cam Newton, the only difference was the rush attempts by the quarterback. The personnel was the same. It was a lot of two tight end sets, a lot of fullback, a lot of power run game, and a lot of hitting the slot receiver. So I don't think we can expect 
as you said, a wide open offense, run, run and shoot. We're not looking at the Arizona Cardinals with the air raid offense coming to New England anytime soon. No, and, and like I can say a lot of that stuff is the head coach, right? Because teams, teams have types that they like, and they just replace bodies. They just replace bodies, right? So the Patriots, they're going to have a running back that can be versatile, right? That can run the ball hard, and he can catch the ball out of the backfield. That's what they like. They, they're going to have a fullback on the roster, but they're going to have tight ends because they want to go 12 personnel. So, you know, we can think back to all the tight ends that they've had over the years. You know, I leave some of them nameless, but that's what they're going to have, right? You look back, they had Randy Moss on the outside, so they got a big, a fast guy, a major receiver on the outside. But then you think back to Danny Amendola, Julian Edelman, Tim Dwight, like um, what was the other guy named Wes Welker? Like all those little guys are in the slot, right? They always got a little slot guy that had, you know, what whoever. Right. So they just replace bodies. That's all they do. They replace bodies. They need a guy that can wiggle in a slot and make plays. They need a guy on the outside that can get over the top and give us an opportunity to make big plays. We need two tight ends, somebody that can block, somebody that can be a receiver for us. Right. Somebody that can catch the ball. Somebody because they want to go 12 personnel and hit you on a play action. They want to run it, run it, run it, hit you on a play action, make easy passes for Matt Jones. They need a running back, somebody that we can hand the ball to and that can get us four or five yards, but somebody that we can split out and can and can win a, a route against a linebacker, right? Because they built off mismatches and, and, and all those different things. So they're just replacing bodies. They got a body type. They got a style that they like, and they're just replacing each guy. But every team is like that. You look at Seattle. Look at the defense. They had the Legion of Boom, right? They got big corner on the outside, Richard Sherman. They got big safety, Cam Chancellor. They got ball hawk, Earl Thomas. You go, they got ball hawk, Quandre Diggs. Big safety, Jamal Adams. Big corner, uh, Shaquille Griffin. I mean, one of the Griffin kids. Uh, you know what I'm saying? They, they they just look for bodies. That's really They just look for that body. This, this is what we're looking for. Um and every team does it for the most part. You know what I'm saying? It's just about are the people that you're looking for good enough to help you win, right? Teams need certain things, personnel, and they just look for those guys, man. That's really it. And it's really funny when you see a coach in a spot for a long time, you get to see those tendencies develop, those players that they favor. And Danny Amendola, one of the players you mentioned for the Patriots, came over to the Lions the year after you retired, and Danny Amendola has now hung up the cleats despite multiple offers to come join a couple different rosters. So shout-out to An Danny Amendola for the retirement and the great career. Yeah, shout-out to Danny. I remember being young, a young guy. I think Danny was a young guy, same as me. I think he may have came in a year before I did. I think he was on, I think, I think he was on like a Dallas practice squad or something like that. And it didn't work out for him. I think he got picked up. The first time I played him, he was with uh, the St. Louis Rams, I cool. think, at the time. And so he was um, he he was a good slot receiver. You know what I'm saying? He was a good slot receiver. I matched up on him, matched up on him. I thought I did pretty well. I, you know, I understood what I needed to do against him, what he liked, what he didn't like. Um, but, yeah, I played against him my first time. I think it was my rookie year in, um, in St. Louis. So he went on and had a great career. He had – 
got put in a great system in, 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 you know, in New England and was able to do what he do well, play in the slot, play, you know, great, great route runner, great hands, punt returner, you know, great energy. He, he threw a couple of touchdowns and passes in New England. So that fit him and his, his skill set perfectly. And, you know, he went on and, you know, won Super Bowls and, and had a, a, a great career. Um, so shout out to Danny. I shout out to anybody that, that can do it that long and, and, and can walk away from the game. Hopefully he's healthy, you know, mentally and physically, and he can, you know, go in retirement and, and enjoy the next chapter. And whatever the next chapter may be, we'll be rooting for Danny Amendola. Final question, talking about next chapters. We have a question from Blurry K on Reddit who wants to know your interest level in coaching because every Lions fan's worst nightmare is Aaron Glenn is hired as a head coach somewhere next season. Everyone knows that Aubrey Pleasant is supposed to step up as defensive coordinator, but after listening to you these past couple weeks and months, some fans are starting to wonder if Glover Quinn could don the headset at some point. Oh, I definitely feel like I can coach. I mean, I I feel like I was a coach when I played. You know, I I, I was one of those guys on the field that that could, you know, coach. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I love coaching. I love coaching. I, I I love it. You know, I do it a lot on the on the youth level at this point. Do I feel like I can coach in the NFL? Absolutely. Um, the thing that gets me right now, honestly, is I love being around for my kids. And the life of an NFL coach is a lot of hours, a whole, whole, whole lot of hours. You know, I used to show up to the building at 5, 5.30 in the morning, and when I would get there, Coaches' cars are, are there, you know. And I would be there all day. I would leave six six thirty in the evening, and when I leave, coaches' cars are still there. You know what I'm saying? So I was always like, man, it'd be very difficult for me to take a job when I'm done playing that that takes me away more than when I was playing. You know what I'm saying? So that's the hard, that's that's the thing that I struggle with. But do I feel like I could do it? Absolutely. 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 I don't doubt it either. And I think all the fans out there know that Glover Quinn would be a great addition to the Lions in any capacity that he wants. Yeah. I, I, I Like I say, I don't know what the future holds. Um, I don't know. But also... Like I said, I haven't put myself out there that I wanted to do that. So, you know, you don't get any offers. You never, you never know. Um, but I did, you know, just just to put it out there, I did consider it um, and start thinking about it a lot because it was convenient. I thought it would be convenient. Um, a couple of years ago, maybe last year, one of, one of those years, I think Coach Caldwell was in the running for like the Texans job. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, that may be something – that I may entertain if coach Caldwell get the job, you know, and he wanted me to come on or would allow me to come on as a defensive back assistant or however he wanted to do it. You know what? I consider that because I'm, I'm, I'm where I stay and I'm at home. I can kind of, you know, I thought about it and then he never got the job. So it was kind of like, okay. Um, but you know, I don't know. You get an offer and get an opportunity, 
you weigh the odds, you weigh the pros, the weigh the cons, and maybe it happened, maybe it don't. But like I said, do I feel like I could do it? Absolutely. Do I feel like I know the game enough to coach and lead men and and teach and and do those things? Absolutely. Do I feel like I can command uh, a room and the respect, but also give respect, understand, you know, from a player's perspective, understand from a coach's perspective? Absolutely. I, I feel like I've done those things when I was playing. I feel like I do those things right now with just my friends and just so yeah, I definitely feel like I could coach. Absolutely. I think Detroit Lions fans are going to be thrilled with that answer. Just leaving the door open to crack. No, no need to commit to anything, just <laughs> knowing that there's a future where that possibility exists. So oh, yeah. I'm sure fans are gonna be thrilled and I'm sure they're going to be thrilled to follow along with whatever else you've got going on, whether it's the GQ sneaks page, whether it's your <laughs> photography page, all the stuff you got going on, man, you know what? And I love, you know, I love that stuff, man. That's to me, that's fun stuff is, it's just cool. And, you know, I, like I said, I separate all my pages and I, like I said, I know a lot of people probably look at me and like, dude, why do you have so many pages? Just have one page. And I think I gave my answer about all that last time. But it just keeps me going, it gives me ideas, different things, because I, I don't like to just put myself in one category right now. You know, I just I like to do a lot of different things. People ask me all the time, hey, what type of photography do you like? Like, do I'm just like. I mean, I take pictures. I feel like when you understand photography and you understand the camera and you understand all those different things, you can take photos of anything if you know how to take a photo. Now, if you only know how to take a sports photo, you may not know how to take, you know, a portrait. Well, I want to know how to take a portrait. I want to know how to take a sports photo. I want to know how to take a photo of a building and of a mountain and of an animal and of a shoe. And like, I want to know how to do all those things. And then, yeah, I may figure out, you know what? I kind of like doing this more than that. But at this point, I just like taking pictures. You know what I'm saying? I just like taking pictures. I like working and practicing on editing and doing all that stuff. I just like to learn it. And so um, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, but it's fun to me. It's it's fun. And I feel like that's why you work hard to to put yourself in a position so that you can enjoy you know, what it is that you're doing and you can do things that you're passionate about. And right now, you know, capturing moments for my kids and, and for myself and traveling and, you know, taking pictures of all these trips and different places that I go. And, you know, I want to have a place to put that stuff. And so that's why I create the pages for it. So if people are interested in just why, just seeing some of the pictures that I take, good or bad, just follow the page. If you're interested in some of the shoes, just follow the page. If you're just interested in me then just follow my personal page if you're not interested in anything then don't follow at all like it's just one of those things um so yeah who knows but i do know one thing i am supposed to and i don't know if i'm supposed to say this maybe i am maybe i'm not um but i do know that i'm supposed to be coming out to detroit lions training camp this year so stay tuned for for that those dates when I will be supposedly coming out and checking the guys out, hanging out. Gonna bring the camera. 
I don't know. I'm gonna ask them, you know, if I come out, what's what's my schedule gonna look like? Maybe coming. I mean, it's different when you're coming out to work and when you're just coming out to chill. You know what I'm saying? So if I'm coming out to work, I may not have time to take a picture. You know what I'm saying? So I may just want to come out and chill and watch practice and mingle with the fans and sign some autographs. Um, but then again, I don't know. I might take a couple pictures from a from a former player. <laughs> Well, and that's just why you have to follow all of Glover Quinn's pages. You can follow Glover Quinn for the main page. You can follow GQ underscore sneaks for the sneaker page. You can follow Glover Quinn photos for the photography. And is there anything else that I'm missing? Yeah, I got a selfie page. I take, I do selfies sometimes. And I started doing those selfies just because I wanted, I was like, you know what? I don't ever take pictures of myself. I just don't. I'm like, so I got to force myself to like figure out a way to get more pictures of myself. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to start taking selfies. I'm like, you know what? I go a lot of places, meet different people. You know what? I think I'm going to try to challenge myself to like take selfies. And it's more so just kind of like a memory catalog of like my year, different places that I went to, done ideas, things. I started out kind of posting one every single day. You know what I'm saying? And then I kind of slowed down. And now I just kind of post them like sometimes different places that I go, different things or, you know, different things that I do, I'll post them. But I don't post them every day anymore. Um, but, yeah, I do that. That's a bunch of different pages I got. Yeah. <laughs> bunch of different things. And I think I'm about to – I had a TikTok that was actually pretty cool, and it got hacked. Uh, so I think I'm going to start me another TikTok do that and have fun man i just i don't know well with all the stuff that is going on and all the stuff that is to come make sure you're following glover make sure you're following the believe in lions podcast you can hear us throughout the summer and we'll be ramping up for regular season with training camp going on check out our sponsors over at betonline.ag and until next time We will see you next time. Indeed we will. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks. That's what our podcast. People are the worst brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel and I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming. And we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to people are the worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.